0: Well, good morning again. Yes, yes, we are kicking off a new series this morning. We've entitled A Generous Life, and I really do believe that this is going to be a blessing to you. This is a new series that if we lean into it, I believe that God will bless you mightily. That term bless or being uh, receiving a blessing is really a churchy term, right? It's not a term that you would use at the office unless you work for maybe a nonprofit organization or something, Uh, but that term, blessed, is a term that we frequently use in the church, right? Apart from the name of Jesus, it's probably the most frequently used word that we use in the Christian language, right? We've all heard those phrases, I'm blessed by the best, or, you know, the Lord will bless me, or have a blessed day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm waiting on my blessing. I can keep going, right? You know, you've heard the many phrases about being blessed. And if you were to jump online or maybe look at social media and see what it looks like to have a blessed life, you'll probably get pictures of maybe a a YouTuber, right? A YouTuber that's living in a mansion playing with expensive toys. Or perhaps you'll see a video clip of a professional athlete that spends his first million dollars. He shares what he spends his money on, right? Um, People like Jalen Hurts and also Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes um, has a lot to be thankful for, and many people might consider him to be blessed, right? Here's a young man. He's 27 years old. He's got two Super Bowl rings now. Uh, He has lots of money. He probably would share with you what he's done with his first million, and he's also blessed with this ability to to play like no other player on the football field, so he can sort of demand a certain salary. I'm sure that uh, football player, Damar Hamlin, feels that he's been blessed, right? We all watched on the TV screen him have this cardiac arrest, and now he's walking around like everything is okay with him. So I want to ask you, what does being blessed mean to you? What does it mean to be blessed? For most of us, we think that being blessed is receiving God's favor, and you really have nothing to do with it. It's just something that you receive from God. While blessings are received from God, what if it's not just a passive experience? What if it's an active experience? What if it's not like just opening up your hands, waiting to receive something? What if it's like opening up a door to actually tap into something? Yeah, what if it, that was what it was like, and that you don't have to just sit around waiting for God to give you your blessing? Well, today, I wanna share with you a message that I've entitled, Living the Blessed Life. Living the Blessed Life. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you, God, for giving us an opportunity to dive into your word. God, we ask that you would open up our ears and our hearts to receive your word. God, let everything that I say ultimately glorify you. Let your people be edified so that they might leave here. Not only be hearers of your word, but also be doers also. God, we ask this in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture, and we're going to start right there at Acts chapter 20, verse 35. And this is what Jesus said. He says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I know for some of you, I just bust your bubble, right? You were just thinking just based on my introduction that that I was going to uh, say something different. And maybe some of you are happy that I'm like, okay, he's in scripture. Pastor Gilmer is not going to dive into some prosperity preaching or something, right? And if you're online right now, don't click off because you've seen the scripture. Yeah, you might have that tendency to want to do that, but I get it. I get it because this honestly um, is very different than the world's economy, right? I can see you reading this passage of scripture and feeling a little bit pessimistic or cynical about what it says, and that's really because this makes no earthly sense whatsoever, but I just want to Challenge you to hang in there for just about 20, 25 minutes here. And prayerfully, this will make sense to you. As you know, we study the word of God. And in order to get the real meaning out of what this particular passage is saying, you really need to understand the context. And the context matters here. When you think about blessings... Many of us who've gone to church might think about Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, he starts out talking about the blessings of God. And he shares in that scripture who are blessed, because it says blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. He goes down through a running list of who is blessed, but this particular passage is not found in the Gospels, but it's instead found in the book of Acts. And the Apostle Paul shares this scripture saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's an imperative verb. It's very different. It's not talking about who is blessed, but it's how to be more blessed. A generous life does not come about by happenstance, but it's a conscious decision that we can tap into. It's a conscious decision that we can choose to be a part of. And he says that it's, more blessed to give than to receive. When we read this particular text, we find that the Apostle Paul is, right, is is actually sharing a message. Dr. Luke, who records this particular text here, is recording a farewell speech that was given by the Apostle Paul before he goes to Jerusalem. He's sharing this speech to a team of elders that he spent three years with in the church at Ephesus. He spent this time ministering to him, pouring his life into the leaders of this church, and now he's on his way to Jerusalem. And before he goes to Jerusalem, he requests that these elders would meet him at the port of Miletus so that he might share with them his final words, his final charge, his final challenge. This is an emotional speech because this is the last time he believes he's going to see these elders. And so he shares his heart. It's a beautiful passage which we get perhaps the most intimate glimpse of the heart of this great apostle. He shares from his heart how he cares and has concerns for the church. He warns them about false teachers and prophets that would come and today we're gonna look at four verses at the end of his farewell speech to get really what God has for us today. It starts from verse 32, and we're gonna go to verse 35. Let's take a look at verse 32. He says, and now I commit to, I commit you to God and to the world of his grace, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Here he is officially sort of transferring his responsibility and his authority to these elders. He's sort of handing this over to them. He's handing the baton of leadership to them before he boards this ship and heads to Jerusalem. And in this Final statement, he begins to share the importance of the word of God that would build them up, but he also reminds them of this inheritance that they have received. they received this inheritance by embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the embodiment of giving in that he ultimately was the one who left the splendor and glory of heaven, came down, walked with us, and became that sacrificial lamb, giving himself for the sins of mankind, becoming that payment that we could not pay for ourselves. He dies on the cross for us, and we did not deserve it. The apostle Paul often taught, and he often wrote about the grace of God. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, you, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, in the Old Testament, one would receive the riches of his inheritance from his father. And this typically was given to the firstborn son. That firstborn son would be born with this birthright. And this transition of the riches of that inheritance of the father would be given to him which, uh, through what was called a blessing. And this blessing was to lay the hands on your, you know, their, their son, and the father would then give that blessing to, the, to his son. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are born again. If you go to John chapter 3, you'll see that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he's wondering how Jesus is able to do all these miracles and have the power that he has, and Nicodemus wants this power. He wants the ability to to have what Jesus has, and Jesus' response to him is that you need to be born again. It is in John chapter 3 that we have the scripture that you probably had to memorize when you were a young child. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus shares that to Nicodemus because he wants Nicodemus to know that he needs to be born again so that he might be able to receive the birthright of eternal life being a part of the kingdom of God and that it would come through faith and not through works. And so when you trust Jesus Christ, you are then given the birthright because you're considered a child of the most high God. What a wonderful inheritance that we receive once we trust in him. So when we trust in him, we know that we are then born again and we receive all that God has for us. This present experience of our inheritance is an internal confidence and peace that we have. It's an inner state of well-being where we have a fully satisfied soul. The spirit of Christ then indwells within us, and then we find that the spirit of Christ gives us something that money can't buy. Galatians 5.22 says that we receive this love, joy, peace, this kind of inheritance is something that is not based on the worldly economy, but it's based on something that God gives us, and no one can take it away. We also look forward to a future inheritance. So not only do we receive the spirit of Christ, that we not only receive this birthright, that we now are part of God's, um, God's family as his child, that receives all of the inheritance, we also become a part of his eternal kingdom that will reign for eternity. That's another piece of the inheritance that we receive. We won't fully understand that and it will not be fully manifested until Jesus returns. But we have the hope and we have this knowledge knowing that we're going to be a part of an eternity that will never end. So whatever momentary suffering that you might experience will never compare to the eternal glory that we're going to be be receiving with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Kind of leads me to the first part of my one and only point this morning, and that is that you're blessed. That's right, you're blessed. You need to let that sink in for a minute. Let me maybe help you understand it this way. Uh, Let's just imagine... If this afternoon you go home and a gentleman knocks on your door, somebody that you're not familiar with, and he explains to himself that he is a long-lost relative of yours. And he's done his research, and he said, listen, I'm here to give you an inheritance, that on Easter Sunday, I'm going to give you $100 million of my inheritance. I've done my research. You're a believer. I believe that you're going to take care of this money And you're going to do what's right with this money. So I believe that this is yours. And he gives you a slip of paper that's sealed. You know, it's been sort of certified and and it's real. On Easter Sunday, you're going to receive $100 million. I can tell you right now that you're going to think differently about what you have. You're going to think differently about your resources, about your time between now and Easter Sunday. It's going to be a lot easier for you to let go of what you have and and give to others once you recognize that what you have coming to you is a lot more. And so it gives you this this ability to say, you know what, let me let go. When I think about the eternal things that God has for me. See, your soul is secure and your future is fixed because of that inheritance that has been given to you. I want you to proclaim that. Just say say this with me. Uh, My soul is secure. And my future is fixed. See, you, in fact, are blessed. You are blessed. And when we focus on what God has done for us, it allows us to let go of what we have and to be a giver instead of being a receiver. See, when Paul talks to the elders, he gives them the key to this generous life back in verse 24. So as he unpacks his farewell speech, in verse 24, look what he says. He says, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. This is not uh, self-deprecation. He's not belittling himself. But what he's doing is he's comparing this temporary life that he has here on earth with the eternal life that he's going to have with his father he's be- beginning to look at his state and he's like this really doesn't measure up so i'm willing to do whatever i need to do i'm willing to give everything that i have to advance god's kingdom this is his mindset this mindset is the same that jesus the same mindset that jesus had It was in John chapter 10 that Jesus says that you don't take my life from me, but I lay down my life and I'll take it back up in three days. Jesus had an an eternal perspective about life. And so that was why Jesus was willing and able to give his life. This is the same perspective that the early church had in the beginning. They had a sense of duty that outweighed their life itself. That's why they were willing to give their lives. They were willing to be martyrs because they knew that this was not their end. They had an inheritance that no one could take. On January 13, 1982, Air Florida Flight 90 took off from Washington National Airport on its way to Fort Lauderdale. And after being in the air for only about 30 seconds, it began to veer to the left. It ended up clipping the 14th Street Bridge and careening into the Potomac River. Some of you all might remember that. Out of the 79 passengers, only six passengers survived. And they were now clinging to the twisted wreckage in the frigid waters of the Potomac River. Helicopter begin to zoom around to rescue these people. The helicopter drops down an orange life vest to a man by the name of Arland Williams. He's a 50-year-old banker, and he grabs hold of the life vest, and he actually throws it to the woman that's next to him. These are six people floating in the water. Many of them had broken bones. He one of, he was one of those that was struggling to stay up in this frigid water. But the woman grabs hold of the life jacket. The helicopter drags her across the river over on top of some ice and takes her to the riverbank to safety. The helicopter then swings back around, drops that same life, that life jacket to Arlen Williams. And once again, instead of holding on to it, he actually dog paddles over to another gentleman, gives it to him and The helicopter then drags him across the ice over to the riverbank to safety. He continues to do this and Arlen continues to throw the life jacket to someone else. After the helicopter rescued five of the individuals, it comes back around to get Arlen Williams and they couldn't find him. Arlen Williams had slipped under the ice and he perished. When they rebuilt that bridge, the 14th Street Bridge, They named it after Arlen Williams in honor of him. See, that's the spirit that the apostle Paul had for this church. That's the spirit of Christ, the the spirit that he had for us. He was willing to give everything for someone else. Look at verse 33. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. Here he gives a key to having a generous life, and that is to not covet. It's sort of the last last of the Ten Commandments, right? It's the one that we forget. Thou shalt not covet. And in order to not covet, you're going to have to be comfortable with what God has blessed you with. So you have to be able to say, what God has for me is for me, and not have this desire or passion to have what someone else has for yourself. That's what it means to covet, is to desire or crave what does not belong to you. And if you're going to live the generous life, you have to deal with that struggle that's within us. Paul wasn't in this for himself. It was all about the people that was there, ultimately building up other people, Look at what he says in verse 34. "You yourself know that I work with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me." See, the Apostle Paul knew that there would be false prophets that would come and try to take advantage of the people by using the gospel message and the good news to line their own profit, line their own pockets. right? He knew that these people would come and use the good news for their own personal gain. The apostle Paul was not like that at all. He actually had a balanced view as it relates to ministry, ministers, and those who are getting compensated. One, it's clear that he recognized that those who serve by preaching and teaching and pastoring should be paid by the congregation. He says, as I just shared with you in 1 Corinthians 9, 14, he says, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. The apostle Paul, when you look at his life, there were times where he worked as a full-time pastor or minister. There was other times that he worked bivocationally where he did a little bit of tent making, and then he also served and received an income from the church. And then there were times where he just was like, I'm not going to take anything. I'm just going to work with my own hands. The key point that the the apostle Paul uh, was saying and what he was sort of exemplifying is that he never insisted on that right if it would impede upon the gospel message. He knew that if this was going to impact the church in a negative way, he was willing to say, no, that's okay. See, the apostle Paul constantly thought about others. He was not filled with greed. That is why he writes the letter to his young protege, Timothy, who is pastor, who later pastors this church. In Ephesus, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, what does he say? He says that uh, godliness with contentment has great gain. means that at one point, you need to come to a point where you're content with what God has for you because you're not going to be able to be generous to anyone if you keep taking, like, I don't have what I need to have. So at one point... I can tell you, and I'm telling you, pastors, leaders, uh, the church needs to get to a point where you say, I'm good. It's okay. I'm good. Apostle Paul had reached that point of contentment. He was good. So he was willing to give whatever he had. The truth is, is that we all have sort of this fallen nature to be takers and not givers. We, we are, that's it. You look at a, a two year old, right? If you have a little child, the first words are mama, dada, and mine, right? <laughs> that's what mine, you know, whatever he sees or she sees is mine. It belongs to me. And it takes the spirit of Christ in us to help us to grow, to be givers. So I get it. It doesn't always feel good to want to give (laughs) when you know maybe that's your last in your wallet and somebody came in, hey, can I borrow something or can I have something, and you hold on. That's just your natural flesh. But spiritual maturity causes us to be givers. Paul was a giver in more ways than one. He gave his time, he gave his resources, his money. He did whatever he could to see that this church would continue to grow. And Jesus took that same time to help those who were in need, to help the poor, to feed the hungry, to heal those who were sick. He always made time to be a blessing to someone else. And a generous life is one which imitates the generosity of Jesus. Yeah. Here at Central, we have a monthly opportunity to serve in our own community. It's a ministry we call Restoring Hearts, and we partner with this ministry to be a blessing to the homeless and those who are in need on a monthly basis. Every third Saturday of the month, it's an opportunity for our church to partner and serve those who are in need. And so, if you were to go on to our website under events, it's always there. You can even go on to your church app, okay? Go there under events, and you'll see it. Click on it. it give you details on how you can serve on a monthly basis, being a blessing to people in our community. In turn, what happens is the Lord will bless you in more ways than you can probably understand or in ways that you might even not intend him to. I remember there was a time in my own personal life that I had been laid off from my job, and I had slipped into a to dep- being depressed. I remember dropping my son off on, on his bus. I would, I would take him to the bus stop, and I would see him on his bus. I would go back into the house, crawl up in the fetal position in the bathroom, and cry. My resume had been sent out all over the place, and it was like crickets. I didn't hear any response from anybody. And so as time went on, I began began to slip further and further into depression. And then as I started to read the scriptures, the Lord basically said to me, stop focusing, focusing on you and yourself, but try to be a blessing to someone else. I then got myself together, and I remember going to our church food pantry. This was down in Delaware. We had a food pantry where we served a meal to people in our community that were in need. And I began sharing devotionals. We would box up food for them. I would then share a devotional with them. I prayed with people in the afternoon and something remarkable happened. This cloud of depression over me seemed to go away. It was this ability to give that actually helped me get through that real difficult time. It wasn't a new job. It was my perspective of not focusing all on myself, but trying to be a blessing to somebody else. That was a blessing to me, to give. Look at verse 35. In every way, I've shown you that it's necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul explains that in every way he was willing to help the weak. He was willing to do whatever he could and that was because he realized that he didn't deserve to be even given this opportunity. It was the Apostle Paul that spent the first part of his life being an accomplice to murdering Christians. He knew that that he didn't deserve to play this role in the kingdom of God. He was a man that was willing to go and hunt Christians down, have them tried and executed. But yet Jesus, the resurrected Christ, comes back to him, comes to him and ministers to him and it changes his life forever. So he's, he's forever in debt to saying, I need to do everything I can to advance the kingdom and be a blessing. This leads to this second part Of my one and only point, and that is that you're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. That's why God blesses you. See, the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive, is not recorded anywhere else in the Bible. It's only found right here. We don't see that in the Gospels. That as, but as Dr. Luke begins to record exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying, Dr. Luke is filled with the Spirit to record this statement that was apparently a statement that was sort of passed down. It was a part of this oral tradition. They had heard, the disciples had heard Jesus say this so many times that he references it. He's saying, you remember what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And this particular word here in the Greek is makarios. And this means it's a kind of joy that we receive by receiving the favor of God. It's this joy that no one can take away. This is a blessing that takes us to a spiritual state of well-being and prosperity. It's a deep joy-filled contentment. It's something that the economy can't change. Even our health situation cannot um, change this deep-felt contentment that we have because we have a relationship with Christ. Jesus explains that the giver is happier than the receiver, that the giver experiences this joy that the receiver can't experience. Now, that goes against all of our own natural intuitions and instincts. But here he says it's true. I like what Tony Evans says about this. Tony Evans says, indeed, in God's economy, you will be more blessed if you're a spiritual conduit rather than a spiritual cul-de-sac. I like that. See, he understood that Jesus wants us to be a conduit for his love, that as God blesses us, that we would then be a blessing to others. See, the generous life is a life that is being fully aware of our eternal inheritance that no one can take away, that we've got something better that's coming. So we're able to let go of whatever God has blessed us with to be a blessing to other people, giving is a biblical principle that that we can experience today, that we can be be, be able to be a conduit and receive this blessing from God. In this month, in this particular series that we're in, A Generous Life, here's what we want to do. We want to be able to be a blessing to spur one another on to be generous. Take a look at this number that's on the screen, and here's what I want you to do. Take a picture of this number. You can write it down. Make a note to yourself, because this number, we want you to text how God is going to use you to be generous. So here's, here's what you would do throughout this month is I want you to be a giver and I want you to see how God will continue to bless you and then we're asking that you would text your story text your story of being generous and how God uses that generosity to be a blessing to someone else this is not about bragging on ourselves but it's about spurring you on to see how God blesses you when you give that God is using you to be a blessing to other people. It's clear that in the scriptures, he tells us that, that it is better to give than to receive. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take your stories and do it anonymously. We don't need your name, but we might share some of these stories in the sermon series. So as they come, we'll share how God is using you to be a blessing. Be ready to share the gospel because that usually is an open door for them to find out. Like, why did you just pay for my groceries? Why did you give me that gift card? Why did you spend your time helping me? Helping maybe a neighbor. There's a number of ways that I believe that the Lord is gonna use you to be a blessing to others. Let God use you to be a conduit of his love. Perhaps it could be even serving at the Restoring Hearts Ministry. Whatever it is, we want you to be able to text to that number your story. And just text it anonymously. And this month, we're going to see how God will use you. Arlen Williams' silent message to his fellow passengers was heard loud and clear. That message was, I'll give so you can live. I'll give so you can live. That was Jesus's message to us as he hung on the cross for us. As he hung on the cross, he was keenly aware that he was given a lifeline because he knew that he had the power to come down off of that cross. But instead he said, no, I'll give so you can live. Jesus is the the example for us on how to live a generous life because it was Jesus who gave his life for us. He gave the most precious thing in the universe so that you might live. And if we have the spirit of Christ, his inheritance living in us, it should cause us to be givers as well. And on the first Sundays of every month here at Central, we celebrate the goodness of God through communion. It's an opportunity for us to be reminded that we didn't deserve it, but Jesus gave it. We didn't deserve this relationship, but he gives it to us. And I want to give you an opportunity to just begin to reflect upon God's grace in your own life. And I want to give you this moment in space to just ask for forgiveness. If you've done anything that was not pleasing to him, the good news is that the scripture says that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And then we'll celebrate communion together. And so bow your heads right now. If you're online, bow your heads wherever you are. Just spend some time praying to him, asking for forgiveness knowing that he has the ability to do it because he's already died on the cross for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, God, for handing us a lifeline when we didn't deserve it. God, we thank you for giving to us what we needed but not what we deserved god thank you for the forgiveness of sins we ask that you now would cleanse us of all unrighteousness for we know that we are unworthy in jesus christ's name we pray